Uh, so next Sunday we're going to uh, start the process of electing a new elder for our church. It's a very important moment in the life of our church, uh, particularly for our church because elders are ordained for life. Appointing the wrong person has the potential to hinder the work of the gospel for years, uh, even decades. And so it's important for us to slow down and listen to what God has to say about elders. And we need to take our time, slow down and, and listen, because as a church there are reasons for us to feel anxious. Uh, our church hasn't had its own functioning eldership for more than three years. Uh, we've been fantastically aided by elders from outside our church, but because this is our situation, there's a temptation to rush and fix the problem to appoint anyone with a pulse to be an elder. Now, the fact it's been more than three years is evidence that we're not acting out of anxiety, but there continues to be a risk that we could act in haste to remedy this situation. And so we need to slow down, uh, listen to what God's word says about eldership so that we can be trusting and following God as we elect elders. Uh, There are a few key passages in the Bible that talk directly into the issue of eldership. Uh, The well-known one is 1 Timothy 3. Uh, There's also 1 Peter 5, a few places in the book of Acts. We've studied those passages in recent years as a church, and so today we're going to be hearing from another key passage, Titus chapter 1. There are lots of similarities in what Titus and 1 Timothy say about elders, and that's going to be helpful for us because there is one sticky point in the Titus uh, passage, and but we are going to focus on the Titus passage today, the instruction that Paul gives to Titus as he appoints elders on the island of Crete. So have a look at verse 5, Titus 1.5. Now, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Uh, so this letter was written after the end of the book of Acts, Paul visited Crete briefly as he was being transported from Jerusalem to Rome, but that's not the visit Paul's referring to. Uh, Paul and Titus must have gone back to Crete later to strengthen the churches. Uh, We also know there were Cretans there on the day of Pentecost. So the gospel's been on Crete for decades, but they've gone back to Crete to strengthen the churches, uh, to evangelise and plant new churches. And Paul has kept moving on. He's gone and left Crete and gone to take the gospel elsewhere and he left Titus on Crete with an important job. Titus is to ensure godly men are appointed as elders so that churches around this island can stand firm in the gospel. They need godly leaders because there's opposition to the truth on Crete. We read that towards the end of chapter 1. There's false teaching about circumcision telling people you've got to behave like Jews, you've got to obey the law of Moses to really be God's people. It's the same kind of thing Paul takes on in Galatians. That was happening on Crete as well. Uh, There's also issues in the wider culture. This culture is hostile to the gospel and godly uh, living. Sorry, Uh, You read that in verse 12. So churches on Crete need the right kind of leaders, the right kind of oversight, so they'll stand firm against those two challenges, both the false teaching inside and the cultural pressures outside. Sound familiar? This is a good part of the Bible for us to listen to 
we face similar but different challenges, both in the Christian culture and in the general culture. So God's word to the church at Crete, the churches on Crete, is good for us. Now, the overwhelming emphasis in what the Bible teaches about elders is elders are examples. They are to be examples of godliness, examples of living with Jesus Christ as Lord, examples of living empowered by the Holy Spirit. So have a listen from verse 6. So Titus chapter 1, verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. Now we're going to dig into a few of those items in a moment, but did you hear overwhelmingly this is about character? An elder sets the example of godly living. They're not a different type of Christian. There's not one thing mentioned in that description that all believers aren't called to, but elders are to be examples of godliness. So we appoint, so we appoint elders to be more than to do, to be someone who lives consistently for Jesus. Character is the first thing that matters. All right, let's look a bit more closely at some of the items in that description. It begins with how an elder loves and leads his family. An elder must be faithful to his wife. Now, there's more in the Bible to explain this, but being faithful to his wife means elders in God's church are men. A man who is faithful to his wife. Now, this doesn't mean an elder must be married. And also, what it then goes on to say about children doesn't mean he must be a father. As far as we can tell, for example, Paul was unmarried. He didn't have children. Maybe he had been widowed. We, we just don't know. But it's not that a marriage certificate is a precondition for eldership. What's really going on here is the elder must not be out of control sexually. If an elder is married... He's faithful to his wife, not cheating. And whether married or not, he's not looking at inappropriate stuff online. But this isn't just negative. There's a positive side as well. An elder must love his wife as Christ loves the church, known for honouring her and treating her well. Actually, that's how he treats all women, with honour and dignity. This probably means that as we appoint elders... If someone we're considering is married, his wife's voice is very important, isn't it? We, we want to listen to her. Does she think he's appropriate to be an elder? Uh, the description there continues with the focus on the family and it looks to the elder's children. Now, this is where things get a little bit sticky. There are two ways you can translate this verse. And you can actually see those two ways if you've got an NIV. In the main Bible text, up the top in the big writing, it says a man whose children believe. But then you'll notice there's a footnote, there's a letter B, and down the bottom in the small writing, if you've got your good glasses on, it says, or whose children are trustworthy. Uh, The reason we've got that footnote is, well, the word that gets translated believe, that word also gets translated as faithful or trustworthy. And you can actually see an example of that in Titus chapter 1. Look down at verse 9, 
Where it says the trustworthy message, trustworthy, it's the same word used for the children, which is translated belief. Trustworthy belief. So which one is it? Does God say that an elder's children must be converted, trusting in Christ alone for salvation, or must they be trustworthy, faithful, decent kids, but not necessarily believers? I think the NIV footnote is actually a better translation. I wish they'd flip those two options around. I think it makes more sense to say for that for two reasons. First is, well, how does the sentence continue? So the immediate context, it says, well, an elder's children are not to be wild or disobedient. So Paul actually goes on and explains what he means by trustworthy. So one reason is the immediate context. Uh, the second is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, in a very similar list of what we look for in elders, it says, I've got it up on the screen, 1 Timothy 3, he, an elder, must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Obedient children, trustworthy children, I think it's saying the same kind of thing. It's not running the house like Captain Von Tramp, uh, sorry, Captain Von Trapp, but it's also not the gremlins either. And we're going to get to see why the way that the, the elder deals with his household is important in a moment. But for now, what do we see? Elders must set an example. They must set an example in being sexually controlled. He also must be in control in his family, loving his children as he raises them well. He must be a dad worthy of respect. And this is actually played out in all his relationships. So the description goes on. An elder is not to be overbearing, not a bully, always needing to get his own way, not quick-tempered, not losing his cool. He doesn't stir up fights and arguments on the internet or with others at church or at work. He's not known for being quick-tempered. He's to be hospitable, which isn't about hosting fancy dinner parties, but a generosity of heart welcoming strangers, making newcomers feel part of the church family, opening up his life and home to others. Elders also need to set an example with how they deal with alcohol and money. Uh, not being a drunkard doesn't mean he's a being a teetotaler, but it's about not overindulging, not getting drunk or taking drugs, not relying on drink to make it through the pressures of life. Now, not being greedy is admittedly, it's a bit hard to judge, isn't it? How do you tell whether someone's greedy or not? It's, it's less about what's in your bank account or whether you rent or own your home. Uh, the question of greed is about motivation. Are they driven by money? Either shown in the ruthless way they do business or maybe in stinginess. A good way to see greed is to look for the opposite, generosity. Which goes with hospitality, doesn't it? It's a a generous demeanour. But admittedly, this is tricky to determine. It's actually tricky to even know our own hearts in this, isn't it? It's hard to know whether you're being greedy, partly because we live in a society where the love of money is celebrated. We are obsessed with money. Whether you've got it or you don't, it's all we talk about, isn't it? You open up a newspaper and count the number of articles that are about money. We love money. Greed is a virtue, not a vice in Australian culture. So it's tricky to even know your own heart because the the air we breathe, the water we swim in is just obsessed with money. It is hard to know your own heart, let alone someone else's. 
It's also difficult to determine because we are private around money. We don't publicise our household budget or bank statement. So how can we assess if someone is greedy and therefore shouldn't be an elder? It is tricky, but elders must come across as generous and not greedy. Generous and not greedy. All right, let's pull these things together. An elder must not be controlled by his desires, the lusts of the eyes, not controlled by his temper or by money or substances, because he is ruled by the Lord Jesus. His life is controlled and changed by the Spirit of God. It's about character, about who the elder is before God. Elders are examples. They also have a job to do. Now, verse 6, the beginning of this section about eldership, begins with the family, faithfulness to his wife, children who aren't wild or rebellious. This is partly about being an example because this is actually what God wants for all his people. Think about Ephesians 5 and 6. God wants all of his people, husbands to love their wives as Christ, Christ does the church, wants fathers to not exasperate his children. But I think the reason it starts with family is because there's a connection between family and church because church is the household of God. So have a look again at verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children are trustworthy and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedience. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. And it goes on to illustrate blamelessness. Why is an elder's character important? Because an elder oversees God's household. Overseer is both a a title and a job description. It's what elders do. They oversee, they watch over the church. What is the church? Well, it's not a business or a club. Elders and and a minister is biblically an elder. There's no difference biblically. There's a, a practical difference in function in the way that our denomination does things, but it's not a difference in office. But since the church isn't a business or a club, elders and ministers, they're not the CEO, And also the role of an elder is not primarily to sit on a board and make decisions. No, church is God's family, God's household. And the elders oversee, he manages, he stewards God's household. Now households in the ancient world were more complex than today. So when we read the word household in the Bible, don't think mum, dad, couple of kids and the dogs. No, Think a multi-generational extended family. A household would likely include grandparents, uh, siblings or cousins who'd never married or were widowed. There'd also be non-blood relatives as part of the household, freed men, freed women, and, and also likely enslaved people. The household wasn't a castle that where you come in, draw up the drawbridge and get away from the world. No, the household would often be running a business or two. Church is this kind of household. We are a diverse people, a multi-generational extended family. And we are working together in God's mission. A church isn't a business, but there are things in church life that are like a small business. And elders are appointed to a father-like role in God's household. And this explains why family is top of the list for an elder's qualification. 
Not only because they're an example of godliness in general, that would be faithful husbands, wise fathers as examples, but also demonstrating godliness in a human household is required for taking on a similar role in God's household. Now, as I said before, this doesn't mean an elder must be married or must have children. As I said before, as far as we know, Paul wasn't married. But if someone is married, we look to his family before he's appointed an elder. How's he gone looking after a human household? That's important because an elder oversees God's household. And a big part of what elders do as they oversee God's household is they protect the truth. An elder must deeply know the truth of the gospel, that he is an undeserving recipient of mercy, and he needs to be able to pass this truth on. So verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. All right, so verse 9, we've got to those words we mentioned earlier, the trustworthy message, the faithful message. What is the trustworthy message? Well, first and foremost, it is the gospel of Jesus. Have your Bible open, flip over to Titus chapter 3. In Titus 3 verse 8, we read the exact same words. They're translated slightly differently, but they're the exact same words. Trustworthy message or trustworthy saying in verse 8. Exactly the same words in the original. What is the trustworthy saying an elder must deeply believe? That he is a sinner who deserves God's eternal judgment and that he he has been reborn and regeneration and that his rebirth and regeneration is something that's been poured out on him. And this is totally because of Jesus' death on the cross. So read with me from Titus 3. We're going to start up in verse 3. Titus 3 and verse 3. This is the trustworthy saying. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you, I want Titus to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the trustworthy saying, the trustworthy message an elder must hold deeply to. It's the reason, it's the basis for all the godly character stuff in chapter 1. It's the stressing these things leads to doing what is good. An elder is to be godly, not because he's a good person, but because he's a sinner who knows God's kindness. He, he doesn't live wholeheartedly for Jesus to make himself worthy of God. No, Titus 3.5, God's salvation is not because of any righteous thing he has done, it's because of God's mercy. An elder is someone who knows in himself he is dirty, defiled by sin, 
but he knows Jesus has washed him clean. An elder is someone who knows without Jesus he is dead in sin. But in God's mercy through the Holy Spirit he has been given rebirth and renewal. An elder is someone who knows his sin has disqualified him from the kingdom of God. But through Jesus Christ, eternal life is guaranteed. This is the key thing, that he holds fast to this trustworthy message. And that he he doesn't just know it, like you know the answer to a question on a quiz, but this truth is deep in his soul. It's the centre and heartbeat of his life. That's what holding fast to the trustworthy message means, first and foremost. Uh, Secondarily... It means holding fast to other biblical truths that are connected to the gospel. We are a Presbyterian church and this means a few things. It means we're gospel people. That God's mercy in Christ is the only hope for sinners. That's a trustworthy saying. That is the number one thing it means. But it also means we are a confessional church. The Westminster Confession of Faith, read in the light of the declaratory statement, And there's more about that on that piece of paper that's at the table. Uh, If you didn't grab it on the way in, there might still be a few copies. Otherwise, I'll email it around later. The Westminster Confession is our church's doctrinal statement. Now, to become a member of our church, you do not need to agree with the Westminster Confession of Faith. Membership in Presbyterian churches is as wide open as the kingdom of God. So like our elders, you need to know you are a forgiven sinner that your only hope in this life and the next is the mercy of God, God's mercy in sending Jesus as a sacrifice for your sin, God's mercy in sending the Spirit to give new life. To be a member, you need to be a Christian. But, as verse 9 says, elders have the job of protecting sound doctrine, which isn't only this central doctrine of the gospel, but also other core Bible teaching as expressed in the Westminster Confession. And so in our denomination, elders are required to own and accept things like election. They need to understand the depth of sin in the human heart and God's loving mercy in his sovereign work of salvation. They need to own and accept that baptism is a sign and seal of God's promises. And so believers and their children receive the sign of baptism. They need to understand that the Bible tells one big story of God's promises rather than dispensationalism. Now these doctrines are not things that every church, every Christian church teaches. And so by saying that elders need to own and accept the teaching of the confession, we're not saying that understanding things in this way is essential for salvation But we are saying it's part of the sound teaching that we are to hold to. We take the confession seriously. It's part of the way that we keep and and guard the truth of the gospel. But the gospel is the centre. Most important for an elder is that they hold fast to the gospel, that they know themselves to be a sinner saved by God's grace. Because this is the truth from which godliness grows. It's only by knowing what we once were, how greatly we need a saviour, how deeply we need the washing and rebirth of the spirit. It's through this gospel that God changes us to live his way. Appointing elders is a serious matter. It's right that we take our time trusting God and relying on him to give us eyes to see 
But it also means, I think this is a challenge for us today, it's not just about choosing the right people to be elders. It actually means that we need to be a people who value what God values in leaders. We need to be the kind of people who see and value what God values in leadership. And how do we do this? Well, it's by pursuing the same things ourselves. Knowing that we are forgiven sinners that we desperately need God's mercy. And and the only way we receive it is in Jesus. And having been washed and reborn, we now live under the lordship of Jesus in our families, in all of our relationships. We are controlled by Jesus, not by desires or tempers or substances. That's what God is calling us to be. Now, we've already prayed about eldership this morning, but this is important, isn't it? So would you join me as we continue praying for our church as we look to appoint elders? Please join with me. Father God, we praise you for your mercy, that while we were foolish, enslaved by our passions and desires, living in malice and envy, we praise you that in your mercy, you sent Jesus to live and die for us, that you poured out the mercy of rebirth and regeneration on us, your undeserving people. And you did it so that despite what we were, believers are now heirs of eternal life. Lord God, we thank you for this truth. Put it deep in our heart. And may it be deep in the heart of those appointed to lead our church as elders, as as overseers. As we look to appoint elders to our church, please both raise up men that fit the description and enable us to value these things most of all. Lord, as we hear this description and the task of oversight, we rightly say, who is equal to such a task? But we know that through the empowering of your spirit, you will provide elders for your churches. And we ask that you'll do that for our church, that you'll grow us in our trust in you. Help us not to be anxious, but to identify those whom you have raised up as elders over us. We ask all these things for the glory of Christ, as he is the head and king of our church. Amen.